This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, the Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Ben Anderson, host of Gunther and Ben every weekday here from 2 to 6 on ESPN 700. As always, is my co-host for the show. Ben, how are you doing on this lovely July afternoon? Good, Andy. How are you? Evening. Whatever. 7 o'clock is still, technically Still evening. sunny outside. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's midday. Midday. <laughs> Might as well be midday. <laughs> we are your midday radio show uh, here on ESPN 700. After the real midday show, Gunther and Beth. We haven't talked since before the draft, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't think it's – we've missed some shows. It's, I was out it's of town. not our fault. You were out of town. No, and games. Then, well, there yeah. were games that we, we aired here on ESPN 700, and, of course, live sports is, is the most important thing that we do. But we still need to catch up on all of the different things that yeah. the Jazz have done during this so offseason. Should so. we start with the first draft workout? <laughs> we <laughs> Break it down some we've of the definitely names. done the draft workouts. Okay. Uh, we have not talked about Mike Conley. We have not talked about Bojan Bogdanovic. We have not talked about Ed Davis. We have not talked about Jeff Green. We have not even talked about Emmanuel Moutier, yeah. who needs to be talked about. And Absolutely. heck, even over the last two days, the Jazz have signed four players. Five. Five? Five? Oh, you're right. Nigel Williams-Goss, was was that Monday as well? I think it was, maybe it was Sunday. But yeah, since since the weekend, since Saturday, the Jazz have signed five players. So That's, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Let's look at a big picture first. What do you make of this Jazz offseason, and where does it where does it put them in, in the scheme of things? I'll say, here's what I make of it. It was aggressive, which is weird, because the Jazz have been so patient for mm-hmm. so long, which makes me think maybe there was a little bit of a change from Dennis Lindsay to Justin Zanuck. Maybe Justin gets at the, the wheel, and I know Dennis Lindsay's still driving the ship. Maybe Justin Zanuck wanted to put his foot on the accelerator a little bit more, or maybe the Jazz were just waiting for this opportunity for Golden State to break up, for the West to open up, to have this type of money. And all of a sudden, it was all there, and they said, "The longer we wait, the worse it's going to be. So let's just go get it." My sense, it's it's the latter, you yeah. know. And talking to Dennis and Justin, and you know, the Jazz's front office about this, the the Justin Zanuck promotion to general manager did not change the decision making process of the Jazz. Right. Uh, it's still Dennis and Justin and David Morway and kind of that whole front office working together. But it, Dennis is still the point man. Dennis is still the guy making the calling the shots. Right, right. So you know that you have Justin being the GM and being able to reach out with all the different connections that he has is, is great. I don't think that's what played out. I think what you played out is kind of your second choice. There was look, the Jazz had this opportunity. They they finally knew that they they could go get Mike Conley. Uh, they finally had cap space to go out and get someone who could help in Bojan Bogdanovic. If they had traded for Mike Conley at the trade deadline, could they have still gone and got Bogdanovic? Yeah. They would still would have been able to clear the money to get it? Yes. Okay. Because they didn't sign Conley. I guess they did trade. When did they officially trade for Conley? Because they signed Bogdanovich before they got Conley. Uh, they... Because you couldn't do the Conley no, you, deal until the 60 the deal. The Conley deal was into cap space. So you just had to okay. wait until there was that cap space was, was available. So... Yeah, they, you, basically you could, and, and the Jazz did indeed do both. Right. So I was wondering if the Jazz had gone out and acquired Conley at the All-Star break last year, if they still could have brought in Bogdanovich, because obviously you have an extra $30 million. Because, right, you took him into cap space. You took, what, what $10 million unequal salaries you sent out, maybe more than that? Yeah, a little bit more than that. I'm, I'm trying to remember. So it's it's Grayson at $3 million, Jay Crowder at $7 million, and Kyle Korver at $7 million, $7.5 yeah. million. So, so you're about just under 20 So, yeah, and you're... 
about bring back 32. 12 to 15 okay. more, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, Regardless, it worked out. I, it, that was it, just a weird hypothetical, I yeah. had. No, it's, it's a good thought. Um, I, either way, they could have done this. And okay. I think, you know, if heck, you don't even need truth serum to ask the Jazz. If the, if the Jazz could have gotten the Mike Conley deal done in February, yeah. they would have. Yeah. And they w- would have been in kind of the same spot they are now, maybe just with... Uh, maybe a, a better playoff showing to this year. I do think there can be some value, and again, we we can never know. You know, maybe the Jazz get Mike Conley and they make it to the Western Conference Finals last year. You know, and all of a sudden they're right. the hottest team in the West, and people want to come sign here. Regardless, I do believe in the idea of off-season momentum, where peace gets moving, and all of a sudden players take notice, and players say, "Well, I want to go do that." And so they see the Mike Conley trade, and then Bogdanovich wants to be a part of it, and then you know all these other guys decide, "Hey, that's that's the right fit for me. Yeah, that, that's a good place for me to go." Maybe that doesn't all work out if you trade for Conley at the deadline. Yeah, I, that's a good question. Is yeah, what what does the ceiling of the Jazz look like? And I, and you, you know, I asked Bogdanovich what what made you choose the Utah Jazz over the Indiana Pacers, and he said I looked at the roster, and and to me that's not you know I love Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. It's I love Mike Conley. I love the the uh, whole assortment of talent that they, they have. Mm-hmm. And in fact, Ed Davis is another one of those guys. Ed Davis uh, being on the roster made it more likely that they signed Bojanovic, Bogdanovic. You know, they they actually kind of did those in in reverse. So uh, both of those guys were aware that they were joining the team, and both of them knew what kind of team they were joining when when they signed up for the Jazz. And, you know, I, I think that leads to signings like Jeff Green that, that make your team a lot better down the road. Should we start off the show like we always do? Yeah. Call for tweets? Please. Tweet us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops. Ask us any questions you'd like. Uh, make any comments you'd like. Yeah. You can also call us, 877 877- Three five three zero seven hundred. That's eight seven seven three five three zero seven hundred. If you'd like to chime in with your voice verbally over here uh, on on our call line, you can also text. Yeah, eight seven seven. Yeah, text that number eight seven seven three five three zero seven hundred. We'll get to those. But yeah, tweeting at us at Andy B Larson at Ben's Hoops on Twitter is probably the best way to do it. Those will uh, come right in. We're happy to answer questions or respond to your comments. We're always happy to do that, and that's really kind of the fun way to do the show. Yeah. Um. So. It, Got a, a couple minutes before this break here, but want to ask you, which of these sign is is Conley the most important signing? Yes, Conley's by far the most important. We got to realize how good Mike Conley yeah. is. Like Kyle Lowry just won a championship as was he the third best player on that team? Knights, he's the yeah. second best player. Probably make some arguments that Knights, he was the best player on that team in the playoffs. Mike Conley is as good as Kyle Lowry. I if, would say better. Yeah, right. Exactly. He he's that caliber. Where if he had been in the East. He probably takes all of those all-star games yeah, that, that Kyle, Kyle Lowry, Lowry got. And Kyle Lowry has zero all-star appearances. Mike what? Conley gets all Mike of Mike Conley has zero all-star. Uh, right, no, Kyle I'm Lowry saying has... if, Kyle, if Mike Conley was in the East, yeah. he gets all those all-star selections over, over Kyle, Kyle Lowry. Lowry. Gotcha. And that's how good Mike Conley is. You got a player that's better than the guy who was just the second or third best team on a, on a championship team. Now, yeah, I, is Kyle Lowry your typical number two on a championship team? Probably not. No, or even your typical but, number three, maybe. But regardless... That's the type of player Mike Conley is. He is an insanely, insanely high-level basketball player. I mean, player. Kyle Lowry was was their third guy, right? Like, Pascal Siakam yeah. had clearly developed into their number sure. two guy. Uh, and I, th- I think, you know, for probably five-sixths of, of those finals games was... Yeah. was but you still had quarters production. where Kyle Lowry would come up and put sure. 14 points in the first quarter. <laughs> in the first three minutes, yeah. And you realize, Mike Conley's that type of guy. Right. You know, he has those types of nights where he comes in and is just so much better than everyone else on the floor that you win those games regardless. And I, I think I'm encouraged as well by the fact that last year he put up his career high. Mike mm-hmm. Conley did. 
uh, in, in scoring. So that, you know, you, you normally look at a 31-year-old NBA point guard and you say, okay, this guy is in in regression, if you will, or is yeah. about to regress. And instead he's had the, the best, uh, you know, year of his of his career last year in terms of just individual play i think let's take a break and we'll come back and we should keep talking about this i agree yeah we're let's <laughs> we'll talk to you guys about that more about mike conley and of course Boyan bogdanovich next here on the salt city hoop show on espn 700 the home of the best utah jazz and nba breakdown is right here this is salt city hoops on utah's number one sports talk espn 700 Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. Uh, I have successfully found my keys. <laughs> more complete Thank Andy you, Larson. Thank uh, you for dealing with that break. And, of course... We uh, took a weird break. Andy left his keys in the lift. <laughs> so we had to go down and get them during the show, which is great. And they, and they worked and they out. Did. They it, brought it, was, it right to you. It probably took, what, 90 seconds? 90 seconds. It was Not great. bad. You, Not did, bad. you did it in one break, down and, down and back up, and we're on the second floor here. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> let's talk jazz. Uh, tweet at us, at Andy B. Larson. Yes, please. At Ben's Hoops on Twitter, I always love to get your questions. Uh, 877-353-0700. You can also text us or call us. Same number, 877-353-0700. We were talking Mike Conley, though, in the last. I, I don't we think were. it's particularly close. A, ball and hand players don't always matter more, but good ball and hand players change the game so much, and the Jazz just had a serious lacking of those guys last year. Yeah, and, and I think, I, I agree, Conley is a better player. I think he's the bigger upgrade um, that's not to say Bogdanovich compared to Jay Crowder isn't a big upgrade. It no. is, uh, but I, you know, I, I, there's a reason Conley makes thirty-five million dollars, and uh, <laughs> Bogdanovich just made seventeen on a brand new deal. Is he's 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 a lot better of a player. Does it feel like anybody is actually you know grinding or gritting their teeth at the idea that Mike Conley makes thirty million dollars a year? Like that doesn't feel no. insanely high. No, it's not. I like yeah. I mean, what if he were to sign a new contract today? He gets. 25? Yeah. You know, like, right. it, it, it's fine. Right. So and, it gives him three years and $75 million. And again, if you have Donovan Mitchell, who you're paying $3 million a year, right. you get to pay someone $35 yeah. million or 32 whatever it is. Uh, you can pay those guys and pay Bogdanovich 17 and pay Joe Ingles 13 and pay Rudy Gobert 25 and be fine cap-wise. In fact, you yeah. can even have a little bit of cap room like the Jazz do. Uh, so looking at, at that addition, first of all, I don't think they gave up that much. I tweeted this out. I think we're seeing a correction of the course of the value of first-round draft picks for the most part in front offices in the NBA. I think for a little while they got out of whack with people thinking you can never you trade a first-round draft pick and you lost the trade immediately. Again, there's so few after really the top five and then outside of the lottery become players that are worthwhile. And if they hit and they're Pascal Siakam and you can afford to take players into space or you can trade for guys like Kawhi Leonard because you've got stars at such a low cost or like we're talking about Mike Conley because you've got Donovan Mitchell— then it's fantastic, but there's a lot of first-round picks we just watched in the summer league that uh, that are a little rough. Yeah, and I think you know, first of all, we we knew this draft was rough, to, uh, especially. But a <laughs> the Grizzlies may have gotten the best player in beyond Zion Williamson and Brandon Clark. Yeah, like Brandon Clark was phenomenal. In we didn't really ends. get to talk about him much because we didn't do a lot of shows before the draft. But that was one of the guys who a I expected to be gone by the time the Jazz were there. B I would suspect the Jazz were in love with. Yeah, they they should have been. I mean, he had the the second best PER in in college basketball history behind Zion Williamson last year yeah. for Gonzaga. I mean, such a smart player. Anyway, I I like Brandon Clark's lo- yeah. a lot, and I think that's a big loss. I think that may be even the biggest loss. And and you still have to remember that the Je- the Grizzlies traded up in order to get 
Brandon Clark. Clark. You know, it wasn't just the pick that they used. Two funny scenarios there. One, does Oklahoma City trade that pick to the Jazz, if it's the Jazz who have that pick and not a terrible Memphis team? And two, how mad is OKC that Paul George asked for that trade after right. they already made that trade to save money? Because they, they brought in a player in Darius Baisley to be the athletic three-point shooter and defender to put around Russell Westbrook and Paul George like they continue to try to build that team. If you're going raw best player available, I almost guarantee you they had Brandon Clark higher on their board than Darius Baisley. I'd be stunned if they didn't. But they were moved down and got out of that pit. You would think, but yeah, then I guess wouldn't you still go with best player available? If, sure, if, if he's higher on your board, just keep him. I think Brandon Clark is yeah best player available. I, I don't think they traded down. I think they traded down purely for salary reasons, and then just took what was left. Yeah. That would be my suspicion. I would be stunned if any player, every any team had Baisley above Brandon Clark. Right. I, I mean, I I could see maybe uh, yeah they shouldn't have because have. yeah. Even, Baisley actually played okay during summer league, but yeah, yeah, I mean Brandon Clark was at a different level. But to he's your also point, tw- he's also twenty two years old, twenty three. So yeah. There's that's, a reason he's true. better than everybody. That's that's a good point. I, I I just I think what we've seen and what these GMs are realizing is because players are moving so frequently right now, uh, what you maybe thought was a seven year commitment with a guy that you drafted or a seven year eight year commitment is is not. Yeah. It's like a it's a two or three year deal. Yeah. And then so you're you're looking at that first rookie contract. And it's like, okay, how much value is that going to provide to a, a contending team? Right. Given that rookies and second-year players are notoriously not good at defense, haven't figured it out yet, yeah. and, and aren't ready to contribute. Especially if you're a contending team, those, those picks 20 through 30. Right. Do you want to answer some of these questions? Yeah. Uh, we've got one from at S. Beck asking, what Western Conference team do you think the Jazz will have the toughest time with this year and why? Hmm. Best and worst prediction for playoff seeding, assuming this team stays healthy. I'll say that the the one they have the toughest time with, I think, is the Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah, it's still got to be the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers, because you've got two attackers on the wing with size that the Jazz may struggle with, potentially, depending on who you can, what bodies you can put out there to defend a Kawhi Leonard and a Paul George. And, you know, the Jazz couldn't defend Paul George at all last year. He torched the Jazz in the, in the three, the four games that they yeah. played him. Mean, he just torched him. So if you get that, and then Kawhi Leonard, who also torched the Jazz last year, you're in real trouble. But that, they, they do that to all. Right. All twenty nine teams they don't they don't play for right and that so that's that's a concern and, and you know we'll we'll talk about that maybe if we we get to a Western Conference Finals matchup yeah. is is really what that could potentially be but also there's some um, things like Zubats doesn't spread the floor Montrez Harrell doesn't spread the floor and what does that allow you to do keep Rudy, Rudy Gobert. Gobert and you can do that for seven games in the playoffs if you want to Rudy Gobert is not leaving the paint against that team unless they can go out and trade Zubats or get another player to come in and maybe they are still looking to build that team but Rudy Gobert is still going to wreck shop defensively against those teams the same way he does against everybody. Agreed. And, you know, they, they've got Jermichael Green still. You're looking at Patrick Beverly. I mean, uh, they would be a incredibly tough defensive matchup, I think, is is the concern, is that yep. your your pick and roll would not be able to work. Your, you know, Donovan will be kind of uh, held in check by either Paul George or Patrick Beverly or Kawhi Leonard, you yep. know, and then you, you they just have answers for a lot of the, the questions you're asking. Yep. Um, but... I think there are some questions that they would have some problems an- answering no with with Rudy Gobert down low. Uh, I think with the overall shot making, I think just general pick and roll, and I think there are going to be times where we've seen, like we've seen teams be worse defensively with Kawhi on the floor because Kawhi sure. is such a good on ball defender that he he kind of forgets about the off ball defense at times, yeah. and then you you can play four on four a little bit. So if the Jazz are playing four on four with Donovan out on the corner with Kawhi guarding him or whatever, or Bogdanovich, like, yeah. Or you know that you you may have an opportunity to do yep. something four on four. And are they going to go small? Are they going to go really small and have Lou Williams and Patrick Beverly on the floor to, to close games? Maybe 
Probably, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what you'd expect. And then you can attack Lou Williams. Right. So they, they, there's options. They're not perfect. They're, yeah, there's they're, no perfect teams in the NBA. They're not, and they're not even the Warriors of two seasons right. ago, right? Like, they are, they are beatable. Uh, five players on the floor to close the game between the Clippers and the Jazz. The two best players are probably on the Clippers. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm positive on that. Kawhi's the best player. Yeah. I think it's arguable who's the second best player. Between Paul George and Rudy? Paul George, Rudy, and Donovan Mitchell. I mean, Donovan Mitchell okay. was the better player in the playoffs when I think, they matched up in yeah. two years ago. We'll see. I, I think still Paul George. Okay. Uh, I, and, and I think most you know, of the people. I think NBA. most people would agree with you. Uh, and then, do the Jazz have the next three? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's the truth. I don't think that's a hot take either. Right. right. Like those guys are better than Lou Williams. Do the Jazz have the next four? Uh, who's who's your fourth? Well, so if you have Gobert, Donovan, Conley. Okay, and Bogdanovich, Bogdanovich over like, Bogdanovich or Lou, Lou Williams. You probably take Lou Williams, but you know yeah. the, the, the Jazz are good. I mean, the, the Jazz really are in a league that is not all that deep anymore. And the Clippers are a deep team, one of the few deep teams. The Jazz depth is incredibly good. And the Jazz third best player is probably the best third best player in the NBA on any team. Wow, Mike Conley. Who is a better third player than Mike Conley right now? Good question. I, so, so the league's gone yeah. funny. The league's gone really weird. We, we, we everyone wanted the big three, right? And nobody has a big three anymore. Everyone has two. The Nets have two. The Lakers have two. The Clippers have two. The, all these teams have these two superstars, which is fantastic because the Jazz have two really good players in Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. They're not superstars, but they're really high level players. And then the Jazz three through eight are as good as anybody in the league. I agree with that. Uh, best and worst prediction for playoff seating. Are you ready to to get into that playoff seating for the Jazz? Let's wait a little bit on the I, second half. And I, kinda, I know you've got a big article coming out, right? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of want to do. I want to instead of just guessing, I want to put some some analytics towards it. I want to I want to actually look at these rosters, really break it down, and really try to figure out where these teams rank because I think so much has changed that it's easy to forget. Even you know the the, the fifth through eighth players on these rosters that are yeah. end up going to end up making a, a difference. That you know, like. When was the last time we thought about what happened to, uh, you know, I don't know, Al Aminu and how that sure. impacts the Western Conference race? Right, right. I, and I think it will. You know, wh- that absolutely affects where Portland will end up. And, and you know what? I, I don't want to say more than anything because home court advantage certainly does matter. But I think the Jazz are no worse than the fourth most talented team in the West and as good as maybe the second most talented team in the West. I agree with that. Uh, Giorgio Spinius asks, is William Howard our 15th contract, or we, we might sign another veteran like Iman Shumpert or Luke Baamute? You actually know this answer, right? Yeah, I, I would say if the Jazz wanted Iman Shumpert or Luke Baamute, they would have already signed him. Correct. Now, that being said, William Howard is currently their 15th contract. I do expect them to bring in other players to fight for that 15th spot. And that would make either William Howard go to the G League, or that would just say, or you just wave him, or you see what other teams wave players in training camp or what happens in the next two months, but they are leaving that open. You know, He's kind of intriguing. He is. You watch him play. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a good player for a Euro Cup team, right? Like, So yep. that's, on one hand, you're like, okay, why couldn't we get a good player from a Euro League team? Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, yeah. at a, something at a higher level. Um, and it, But I had the same concern about Royce O'Neal, yeah. and it turned out Royce O'Neal was a fantastic player. So I, I, I've... You know, I think the Jazz's scouting department has, you know, earned the benefit of the doubt on these. And, and, and the Jazz are very much. It's funny. I was watching Moneyball before I came in today, and you do the whole thing where what they're replacing Johnny Damon and Giambi and whoever it is, and they've got to get up to a thousand on base percentage. Yeah. It's like, hey, so we need three guys who have three hundred and thirty three average. And I think really the Jazz sometimes look at their roster like that. Like we need guys who hit this percentage of three point shots, and we know we did that in Europe, and we think that projects. Like that's a pretty somewhat clean projection. That if he gets open looks. And Quinn Snyder believes he can get people open looks, 
if we have to get those shots at a certain point, we want to have the six seven guy who hits those shots. We found that guy. Yeah. Whether right. he's playing Euro Cup or whether he's playing Euro League or whether he's playing in China, whatever it is. Open shots are open shots. Open shots are open shots. And if he can hit him in a pro spot, that's where we trust him. Right. And, and I think, yeah, I think there's that case that he, he could be one of those guys. Um, I, I, I think it's a reasonable sign. Yeah. They, again, they have just earned such benefit of the doubt when it comes yep. to the end of the roster, guys. Yeah. Uh, Riley O'Brien, for yeah. you guys personally, if you could have your pick from any of the free agent point guards going into this offseason, for the Jazz, who would you like best for this team? Conley, Kemba, D'Lo. Would you have preferred Tobias, or you think upgrade point guard was better? I'd always said I think upgrading a point guard was more important than upgrading Tobias Harris. I agree. Uh, and I think Tobias, I'm still uh, out on, uh, I think it's it's up in the air whether or not Tobias Harris was truly worth a maximum contract. Right? And I'm very curious why he's played for five teams, and every team that hasn't liked him, and is, you know, he's the Clippers wish, on. yeah, but is willing to move on. And there's a lot of guys like that that somewhat become available. Yeah. You know, like, how much did Jamichael Green end up getting? Not much. The and and Jamichael, Jamichael Green is not as good as Tobias Harris. I'm not pretending he right. is. But, like, how much did Harrison Barnes get? $22 million? It's, yeah, pretty, it's a lot. a lot. How much did Bogdanovich get? You know, right. Meritich was available. There are just guys who kind of do what the idea of what Tobias Harris does, and they become available. Like, it's not unheard of to get that guy. It's really hard, seemingly, to get high-level point guards in the NBA. Right. So I would always go, if it's one or the other, the ball-in-hand point guard who who can create a shot. Not that Tobias Harris can't create a shot, but I, I like the guy like Mike Conley. And I, I just think that there were, I think the drop-off was, was, you know, unless you were getting Kemba, I think Kemba would have been my number one over, Kemba over been Mike no, Conley. No question. I think D'Lo's a clear number three to those guys. I agree. Uh, and I think it, uh, Tobias Harris is... Probably number four on that list to me. I think Tobias might be a better player needed, than yeah, D'Lo. Probably. I agree. Uh, but D'Lo's younger. And, and, again, need, and I think Jazz need was, was huge. I, th- I think what the Jazz weren't getting from Ricky Rubio was bigger than what the Jazz weren't getting from Derek Favors. Yeah. Uh, I think the other interesting question is, would you rather have Mike Conley or would you rather have Tobias Harris and Grayson Allen and Jay Crowder and Kyle Korver and two first-round picks? And not Bogdanovich, because if you sign Tobias, you can't sign No, him, I like right? what Jazz did. Okay. I don't think Kyle Korver has anything left. I think that's that's there's a real possibility. I think you got Jeff Green for how much? Two and a half million? The minimum. Yeah. So who's better, Jeff Green or Jay Crowder? Probably Jay Crowder, but not by a ton. By and like, he's three times, cost three times 1%, as much? 1%, yeah. So... That's not. That's the funny thing. What's the best thing about Jay Crowder is his contract. I mean, that's what everyone talks about. He's one of the most affordable players in the league because <laughs> you signed him at a deal where he probably, had he hit the free agent market, was it the year after that when everyone got those big deals? I or think it was the year, year before. before. It was 535. He would have gotten a ton of money. Yeah. You know, and he signed a stupid contract at 535, and so everyone loved it. You got him for $7 million less. Well, you got Jeff Green for $5 million less than that. Right. That's a really good deal for Jeff Green. And Jeff Green can play. He's a, he's a good basketball player. Agreed. He's not amazing. Now, he's not one of the Morris brothers, but he, he he helps you. Now, maybe you can sign Jeff Green for the minimum and trade Jay Crowder for whatever. You know, uh, Jay, trade Jay Crowder for your, yeah, whatever you need. Um, maybe you keep Jay Crowder at that point. Who knows? But, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I think that's, that's an interesting conversation to me. Uh, and I do wonder if the Jazz but, had both Jay Crowder and Jeff Green on the roster at the same time, who would get the majority of the minutes. I wouldn't be stunned if it was Jeff Green. I would suspect it's Jay. Because I think Jeff Green's a better shooter. And I know Jeff Green's a better shooter. I think Jay's a little bit of a smarter player. Okay. And I actually don't know that Jeff Green's a better shooter. Like, Jeff Green shot 34.7% or whatever, but got 
uh, took way fewer shots than Jay Crowder okay. did. Like if Jay, if you only took the the fifty percent of Jay Crowder's shots that were good shots, how well does he shoot? I think is a probably like thirty four percent question, right? though. <laughs> right, that's kind of an age old basketball question. Yeah. If I can get him to only take the good shots that go in, how good is he going to be? But in, but I I do think Jay Crowder ended up with a lot of shots last year just when offense broke down and like sure you know I think there were some that he or that he wanted that Quinn wanted him to take because then he was the th- a threat of a shooter. Also Jay Crowder was not the defensive player people thought he was. No, he's, he's he had fine. a reputation as like a cuz he has long hair and he runs fast. It looks like he's a good defensive player. <laughs> he he wasn't that great of a de- he defensive player. He doesn't run that fast. No, and he's not that fast like, either. Right. He just kind of looks like the type of player that we have assumed over time is a good defensive player who crashes the boards and is Montrez Harrell and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, he he actually is not those players. Jeff Green is definitely the more athletic player. No question about it. He's a he's gonna catch a few bodies this year that Jazz fans are gonna yeah be uh, surprised by. Uh, Clayton Searley asks: Is lack of elite athleticism? Speaking of that, the Jazz's biggest weakness going into next season. You know, I like what Denver did going out and getting Jeremy Grant mm-hmm. and adding athleticism to that front court. Is a really good. It's a really nice addition. It is that that will help them and. I could see games like that where Jeremy Grant's going to have, for some reason, like eight offensive rebounds and 17 points, and you're going to say, Jazz could use a little more athleticism there. I don't think ultimately that's going to be the undoing in the front court. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think, uh, honestly, you look at the way Bogdanovich defended LeBron James two years ago in that playoff series that the Pacers pushed the Cavs to seven. Um, he did a, he did an okay job. I don't like, know if people realize how big Bogdanovich is. Yeah, he's he's pretty. He's a big kid. He's, he's a tall. big guy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a very big player because he kind of looks like a European who's hanging out on the wings. So you kind of think, uh, six five, six six, like Bogdan Bogdanovich. Now he's he's a very big player. Yeah, Boy, uh, Boyan. Boyan is. Yeah, uh, and, and honestly, they're uh, I, I think they're they're not athletic, right? So so you're gonna see. Uh, I think they won't be the best defensive rebounding team in the league. No, I, I think honestly, what you should do if what you're expecting from this Jazz team is go look at what the Jazz's lineups were. Uh, without Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert on the floor together. And if you look at just Rudy Gobert with Jay Crowder or Rudy Gobert with George Nying, they were a good defensive rebounding team, but not the best. Yep. They were a good defensive team, but not the best. Uh, but they were so good offensively yep. that it, you know, their, their it plus minus yeah. was, was your, huge. Your, your net was better. And so your net was better. And, and so I think that's what the Jazz are next year. I think they're probably you know a, a top five defensive team. I think they're probably a, a top ten rebounding team. But they definitely got worse in those areas. But their offense is going to be top ten, maybe top five. And, and that's what's going to be really, really nice. Also, Jeff Green's very athletic. Now, he's not vertically. He's, he's not a good pretty, rebounder. He's not, yeah, he's not that type of Jeremy Grant athleticism yeah. that we're talking about. Yeah, he's he's weird in that he's athletic and he doesn't know how to use it that well. Yeah. Which has kind of been the problem his whole career, right? Right. Um, but, hey, uh, that's why he's available for the minimum. If, yep. he were, if he were smart and athletic, then, you know. Also, Ed Davis, I mean, you basically brought in, imagine getting, like, attribute points to put in a video game, and you said, like, we need to add more rebounding. Ed Davis is like the attribute points. Like, that's all he does. But he's literally the best at it. He is Derek Favors. Yeah, he he is Derek Favors on on the rebounding and and, uh, defensive fronts, besides the ability to score and finish. Yeah. Like, that's. It's just Derek Favors minus those traits. I think you and I have both always loved Ed Davis. I think we've talked about Ed Davis a lot on the show. I really liked him coming out of Carolina, and I thought he would be a much better offensive player than he did because he had a mid range game there and he dunked on a lot of people. And I thought that kind of makes sense. And then. The NBA got rid of the mid-range game, and so my take didn't look as good. But mm-hmm. Ed Davis is extremely, extremely good basketball. Yes, player. and also very athletic, actually. Yeah, 
That, he has to be in order to be 6'9 and 6'10 and play center, you know, yeah. the way that he does. He's not quite as long as Fave, but he makes up for it with being more bouncy. Yeah, I love Ed Davis. Uh, that th- might be my favorite addition. Yeah, in terms of, I think that might be the one where you got the most overvalue. Yeah. You know, I think the Conley trade was fair. The Bogdanovich contract was fair. Uh, maybe Jeff you know, Jeff Green signed three consecutive min, one-year yeah. minimum deals. Like, that's probably what he's Again, worth. once you sign that deal, it's really hard to not sign that deal again. <laughs> Unless yeah. you're going to a contender. It's really hard to not sign that deal again. And he did that a little bit with the Cavs, right? Or did right. they trade him when he had that $15 million Orlando uh, so Magic? Orlando signed him for 15 and then Cavs signed him for a one-year minimum, then okay. Washington signed him for yeah. one-year minimum. Once you sign that deal, you're never getting back. Once Maybe. you tell no. him you'll work for that little, the league <laughs> knows. Uh, the Muffin Maker's boy uh, asks, what do you think Donovan averages this year? I think he averaged essentially the same, 24-4-4, and but on a improved efficiency. People remember how good Donovan Mitchell was in the second half of the season last year? Yeah, he was really good. We, I, we, I think remember how bad the playoffs were a couple of the games, and we think, oh, he went 4 of 21 or whatever that was in the, the elimination game and mm-hmm. thought it was just brutal. You look at his splits after the All-Star game last year, and he was as good as any player in the league. He he has fewer touches, though. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, he's so, not going to do that. He doesn't need to do that. I, I kind of agree with, with what our commenter said, Muffin Maker Boy. I'm just going to say that over and over mm-hmm. again because that's apparently his name. name. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah, less touches, improved efficiency, but uh, probably about the same stats. Um, I don't see any re- reason to think his rebounds are going to improve. I don't, you know, I think assists. You would say uh, he will probably have easier decisions to make in the pick and roll, but he will run pick and roll less because Mike Conley is running it right. So ultimately, I, I don't think it's fair to to expect higher totals from him, but more efficient totals. He shot forty five percent from the three point line after the All Star break last wow. year. Wow, forty five percent, and he was taking. Let me see how many threes he took a game. Sorry, I'm being slow. That's crazy here. though. Forty-five percent is took uh, seventy-five in twenty-four games, or seventy-three in twenty-four games. Okay, so not not that many three but shots a game. Still shooting, you know, forty-five percent. If he can shoot thirty-eight percent and take four a game, That's or very five good. a game and and shoot thirty-eight percent or forty percent and make two a game, he's just an absurdly good player. And he already is an absurdly good potentially, player. Potentially, and then again, he's potentially the Jazz's worst three-point shooting player in the perimeter in the player. Yeah, uh, he will. Yeah, probably average similar numbers. I actually bet pre All Star break numbers, which was twenty two four and four. I bet you that's about where he is okay. because you give up shots elsewhere. Yeah, and, and that's fine. I think Donovan's Donovan's okay with that. Donovan wants yep. to win, wants to become efficient, and honestly, maybe lose a little bit of the checker label, which he's gotten from uh, you know Philadelphia fans, <laughs> etc. True shooting percentage was fifty eight percent to close the season last it's, year. It's, yeah, he was forty six percent from the floor and forty five percent from the three point line. I mean. The Jazz were really good last year against really bad teams. Yeah. And, and that that's honestly been a, a hallmark of Quinn Snyder's teams is just like, for whatever reason, the blender works so well against bad teams. Yeah. They just don't, they don't follow it. So yeah. you can, you can just fool them on the backside. Yeah. Um, we'll see when the Jazz's easiest part of the schedule is this year versus the hard part. I, you know, I, I'm still a believer that you'd rather have the hard part first, um, Unless you're like really want all star nominations, but I think it's probably easier to win more games that way. Agreed. Answer one more of these questions. One more question, yeah, before we'll go we go to, to break. break. Yep. Uh, Jazz fan twenty asks if you were the coach, what would your starting and closing lineups be this season? Conley, Donovan, Gobert, and then the question is what you do three and four. Right. Where do you think Bogdanovich is best? I think he's. Uh, I don't think it matters. Okay. I, you know. Uh, as a three, you know, if we're honest, I probably as a three. I probably close with Ingles and Bogdanovich on the floor. Yeah, I'd I probably put Jeff Green and Bogdanovich on the floor to start. Why? 
because I'm worried about the Jazz backup point guard situation. I am too. And I don't like Jeff Green coming off the bench with a bad point guard. I really like Joe Ingles coming off the bench to play point guard, essentially. Okay. And I know the issues. And I know the issues. What what was Joe Ingles so good at last year playing point guard in the backup role? What was he so good at? Pick and roll with Derek Favors. Right. And what happened? No more Derek Derek Favors. Favors. Right. And pick and roll with Ed Davis isn't going to work. So you need need him to do – I mean, it it may work and maybe Joe Ingles will be able to score the same way, but Ed Davis will not be able to score in the same way. I think think you're totally right. I'm worried about backup point guard. Uh, I I think, to me, I I worry if you don't have the ability to run pick and roll as well, then you have to run like pick and pop kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. and it gets a little bit iffy. I would rather have in your. I I might start Royce O'Neal at the four. Okay. Um, and I don't care who's playing four, two, two, you know, three or four there, whether it's Bogdanovich or or Royce. But I think the the nice thing about that is it lets Royce guard the other team's best player. Okay. And still knock down open shots. Uh, and, and then you've got you've got Jeff Green off the bench to to maybe play against bigger players if you'd like. You can play him at. You can even play him at backup center like the Wizards did last year if yep. Ed Davis gets hurt. Um, I, I think it gives you more flexibility. Uh, I, I agree. I like the idea of having Joe Ingles or Bogdanovich or someone out there to run the show because I don't think Moutier is the one you really want making decisions. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting or, to see how much the Jazz honestly, Dante rely on George Yang. And then if it's Joe Ingles. I mean, the Jazz bench might be totally dependent on if they're hot and hitting threes and depending who's coming off the bench there. Right. And that's a little scary because Moutier, Exum... Royce is only a mediocre three-point shooter. He was good early on and then kind of trailed off again towards the second half of the season. If Nyang and, and Joe Ingles are, are coming off the bench and are hitting threes, you're going to be really hard to beat. And, and Yeah, I completely agreed. And, and I think you, you look at how coaches have gone more and more to staggered lineups. Uh, I think the Jazz will be able to play two of their starters on the floor during a lot of these bench lineups. If you're playing these guys 30 minutes a game, you're, you're saying 180 of your 240 minutes are taken up by uh, by your best five players. That doesn't leave that many minutes that you need to rely on four or more of your bench guys to, to play well. Uh, and, and so I think we'll see... You know, Conley and Mitchell will play together at the beginning of end of games. I, I don't think there's any doubt, but there's a lot of benefits to playing only one of those guys out on the floor at the same time. And almost the entire game, one of them will be there. Yeah. It would be really hard for me to imagine long stretches where one of those guys isn't on the floor. Yeah, well, I, I think it, and I think it will uh, adapt throughout the season. We, you know, we definitely saw Quinn do that last year. Is like, okay, which of these lineups work together and which one of them don't? And yeah. we'll have to learn how Conley deals with different kinds of bigs. We'll have to learn how those players play together, how Ingles does without Derek Favors next to him, those yep. kind of things. It'll be very interesting. Very excited for next year. But Bogdanovich we, starts. You're, there's no way you're not starting him. I, I, I agree, and I, I think it makes sense. I think Ingles would be the guy off the bench uh, it, because he's he stated a willingness to do that. Um, but then and, and closing games, most likely. Closing I games, I think Ingles, Ingles makes the most sense yeah. to be out there. Because honestly, you can, you can basically go, not four out, because you can have Gobert out there, but you can have three out with Donovan or Mike Conley. I, yeah. I in a pick and roll with Rudy Gobert and then three shooters and just so that's, that's, that's going to really be uh, that that's going to be not a death lineup but that the plus minus numbers on that lineup are going to be crazy. Yeah, agreed. It'll be it'll be especially again against bad teams like there. It, it's just yeah a pick your poison kind of scenario. Yeah. Anyway, we got to take a break. On the other side, more of your questions, more talk about the Utah Jazz and their off season here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN seven hundred.
You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, Andy Larson, Ben Anderson with you talking Utah Jazz and the NBA. Uh, let's get back to your questions because, as always, we want to make you guys happy. Talk, Answer your questions here on the Salt City Hoop Show. You can tweet us at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops, if you have your own questions you'd like answered. Or you can always call us, 877-353-0700. That number works as a text line as well, 877-353-0700. Uh, we do have another a question from Alex Hansen. Actually, three questions. Mm. So we'll we'll just we'll just knock them out. Yep. Uh, Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons have been lower on the Jazz because they got smaller and less physical. Do you foresee this being an issue? First of all, I, I want like the Zach Lowe Bill Simmons podcast has been brought up a lot to me. Uh, I I didn't hear that as like wildly skeptical skeptical yeah. right. Like I, I, think, I do think Zach Lowe has come out and said I'm lower on the Jazz offseason than other people are. I think. That's in relation. I think that's in relation to like them being the best team in the Western yeah. Conference. I think he, you know, kind of reading between the lines, knowing what, uh, you know, listening to what he says. Quite frankly, I think he still thinks the Jazz are yeah. the second or third best team in the Western Conference. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, they did get smaller and they did get less physical. Yep. And I think what we've seen in the NBA is smaller and less physical can work. You know, like. Yep. If you if you're skilled enough to make that yeah. work, let me ask you: was the, be was the problem against the Rockets the last two years because the Jazz were too physical or or you know not physical enough? No, I mean I, maybe you would say with Trevor Ariza guarding Donovan Mitchell, uh, that may have been where the physicalness got in, you know but maybe like, impacted Donovan Mitchell. But Jazz could but, be more Jazz could throw favors and go bare on the floor and be more physical than every team in the NBA over the last two years, and they right. still got eliminated by teams that were smaller because it, and quicker. Yeah, and uh, exact. And I would rather be smaller and quicker than bigger and stronger. Yes, and and longer. Yes. you know the Jazz are you know sprawl ball as they like to call it. The Jazz have embraced that a little bit more. Yeah, and and they are not as long as other teams. You know this is no. not this is not last year's. Raptors, for example. This is right. not last year's Bucks. Right. Uh, both of those teams are longer than the Jazz are right. right now. There's no question about that. Rudy Gobert is really long though and makes up for a lot of those problems at the rim. Yeah. Uh you're not gonna you're not gonna get as many turnovers, you're not gonna get as many steals as yeah. maybe the best turnover forcing steals team in the league. Uh but you're still, I think, gonna be good defensively. And so. it's really easy to fall in love with attributes like that and just or, or or fall out of you know, Brandon Clark we talked about earlier on the show. People fell out of love with him because his wingspan is as long as his height. He's mm-hmm. you know six eight and six eight. It's just like, yeah, but he, he jumps fifty inches off the ground. Yeah. It doesn't matter if his arms are four inches shorter. He jumps five inches higher. So it doesn't matter that much. Yeah, and, and honestly, you know, we'll we'll see with Brandon Clark. I we both like him as a prospect, yeah. but yeah, it's I think being long is good, but you have to know how to use it. Right. Uh and anyway. Right. You know, Trey Burke Crazy long arms. Have you yeah, ever noticed yeah. it? Justin Wright Foreman, yeah. honestly, has really great. You know, right. And, you just and he never, might work out, but you just he never noticed it. Did not now, show that. You when know? you're Karolinko and Giannis and you know how to use it, go bear. It's yes. amazing. But not everyone knows how to use it. Yep. Uh, not uh, Anthony Randolph, you know, had no yeah. idea how to use it. Right. Et Who on the Jazz matches up with the best wings? Kawhi, Paul George, and LeBron James. Uh, Royce O'Neal. Royce. Uh, I think Joe Ingles is going to get some of those. Yeah. Jeff uh, Green will probably get some of them. Joe Ingles on Paul George is a known working thing yeah. that the Jazz can do. Uh, and honestly, again, Bogdanovich guarded LeBron James in a playoff series. Yeah. Uh, that that team lost, but not because of that matchup, right. um, which is kind of bonkers. So I, I, I don't think it's going to be c- catastrophic. I think maybe Bogey has slipped a little bit defensively since then. Sure. To be honest. And so is Joe Ingles. Uh, and so is Joe Ingles. So 
but I, I do think Royce is probably your number one stopper, so to speak. I also don't think it's a new problem from last year. No, right, yeah. Uh, but it, it is something to be concerned about. And again, you're you're talking about a Western Conference Finals matchup be, with the the Clippers. Let's yeah. say yeah. Uh, that's going to be a. That's a nice problem to have. B. You know that's going to be its own thing when we we talk about getting that far in yeah. the playoffs. And and there's just going to be changes to both of those teams by that point. Yep. Uh, Three, did the Jazz lose anything defensively with the offseason moves? Yes, because their best lineup yeah. defensively was Derek Favors next to Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Uh, they don't have that anymore. So that means they no longer have like that defensive lockdown numbers for, for 15 minutes a game that they, yeah. they can rely on. They will be, you know, again, I think maybe like the fifth best defensive team in the league next year. Right. Uh, and Gobert's that type of player. Gobert, Gobert defensively is, you know, Steph Curry offensively or, yeah. or those, you know, the top players we've ever seen offensively. When he's on the floor, your team's good at defense. He gives you a very low, like very high floor to what your defense is right. going to be. Because and then I, I do think they got better in some ways. You know, I think Mike Conley is, is I had this conversation with Tony and we've uh, honestly kind of, I've kind of come around on it that Mike Conley is probably a better defender than Ricky Rubio. Sure. Um, I think that'll help. I think Donovan will be better in his second year, in his third year. Uh, you know, I think there are some nice things that you will be able to do defensively. Roy should keep getting better. Dante should play more. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Days. Ideally, you have a healthy Dante Exum, and Dante Exum, when he's healthy, is a good player. He just hasn't been healthy. And Ed Davis is uh, as good, or maybe better, of a defender as as Derek Favors. Yeah. Um. So yeah, not that worried about that. They won't be as good defensively. They're still going to be very good defensively. Yes. Um, Alex also asked a question about Tobias or Conley, which would you rather have? We already answered that. So uh, listen to the earlier part of the show, Alex. And the answer was Conley. The answer was Conley. Um, Adam Bushman, what aspect of Boyan should Jazz fans be most excited about? Shooting may be the obvious one, but there's way more he can do on offense that we haven't seen in the past. You want to answer that one? Yeah, I mean, okay, so to me, I, I think shooting is absolutely the obvious one, sure. and the difference between shooting 42% from three and 34% from three is is pretty massive. It's absurd. Uh, and, and that opens up all the spacing for everything else and blah, 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 blah. He's really smart about how he scores, though. He's, he's yep. He, like, throws people off in the way that he can get to the rim, the way that he uses his body uh, to, to create space for himself. And then because he does have that shooting threat, he's really smart at, at back cutting. Uh, so there, you know, time and time again, he'll be the Indiana random off screens to try to get him that open three point shot, and then would at the last moment, Bogey would go to the rim, be open for a pass from Darren Collison or whoever else on the Pacers, and and just score at the rim on an on an easy backdoor cut. And you're like, wow, he's he's really good at that, really smart. So I think that those to me are the things that. It's not only that he can shoot threes, it's that he can shoot from the mid-range, it's that he can score in a lot of different ways. I mean, I I don't think this is he's not as good of a playmaker as uh this guy was, but I saw someone on Twitter compare him to Jeff Hornacek. Hmm. I don't think it's a crazy compare. Yeah, it's probably not comparison. crazy. Uh, uh here's what I like. Hornacek was like a point guard, right? Like yeah. so he was a much better passer, but in terms of like ways he can score in different ways, I don't think that's a crazy comp. Weird thing that you know, we talk about attacking a closeout. There's more than one way to attack a closeout. And mm-hmm. you have to close out on him really hard because he's a 42% three-point shooter. So you close out on him. He can get to the paint. and He can finish the rim. He can pull up from mid-range and still shoot. And he's still a good enough passer that one dribble, two dribbles, if that mid-range shot doesn't want to take it, he can keep moving the ball. And that's another way to kind of start that jazz blender. Because really, all you've done is you've, you've started rotating your defenses. Yeah. So we can do that off kickouts as well. I'll be curious to the Jazz put him in the Joe Ingles pick and roll initiator role. 
Was he the I, ball handler in the pick and roll? And how comfortable can they get him to, to run that? He does not have the the assist numbers that Joe Ingles does right. you know, over the course of his career. Um, he was very efficient running pick and roll last year. So if you is it is that just opportunity? Is that just because Joe Ingles was getting more pick and rolls? And, and if you put Bogey in those same situations, will he be able to succeed? Uh, I, I suspect he's not as good as Joe Ingles because it is hard to be as good as Joe Ingles was at that aspect of the game. Um, but I think he can score in more in, in different ways that uh, he'll, he'll still be able to. Like I, I would be pretty confident with him leading a second unit, for example. If you were to start him, pull him after at the eight-minute mark, let's say, and then put him in at the three-minute mark of the first quarter and have him play the next nine minutes or so, I think that could be a look that works really well. Two years ago, the Jazz had a player who averaged 16.8 points he averaged three rebounds, two and a half assists, uh, two assists, shot 43% from the floor and 38% from the three-point line. And then the Jazz traded him for Jay Crowder. And that was Rodney Hood. So imagine just a better Rodney Hood. I mean, honestly, uh, you, you get yeah. a more versatile game, but you could probably play a somewhat similar role to Rodney Hood with Boyan Bogdanovich because Donovan Mitchell needs to get those shooting guard minutes. And, and I think you ended up seeing Rodney move to small forward maybe a little bit more than he was comfortable with. That's where Boyan's very comfortable. And you can see him playing that same role. And Rodney wasn't great at it and gave you 17 points a game. Right. So, I mean, you can see the types of shots the Jazz were able to get Rodney Hood without Mike Conley on the floor. Now give it to a better player than Rodney Hood and Boyan Bogdanovich and add Mike Conley to that. And you can kind of see, okay, the spacing's going to be there. The opportunity's going to be there. And again, he's going to be your... I mean, where is he? On your, You're coming down the floor with your starting lineup, your closing lineup, whatever. What option is a Boyan Bogdanovich look? Yeah, I mean, he's your third perimeter, fourth option, right? So like, your pick and roll with Rudy Gobert for a lob at the rim is kind of the jazz bread and butter. Right. That's what you want. Dunks is dunks are good. Layups are good. Yeah. And then kickouts are kind of your third option, right? Yeah. And so you're kicking out to either Joe Ingles or Bogdan, Bojan Bogdanovich. So, I mean, if he's your third option and he's that high level of a third option, you're in just incredibly good shape. And I won't be at all surprised if he plays a similar Rodney Hood role, just much, much better. And he's more talented. He's, he's, he's good with the ball in his hands. He can put it. He doesn't try and do too much with the ball in his hands. He's, he's going to be a very nice addition to the Yeah, he, honestly, even when he was asked to be the number one guy, you would have expected you know, a huge jump in turnovers and a huge jump yeah. in uh, a huge deficit in efficiency. And he, he I think, impressed people with, with the way that he, yeah. he wasn't that guy. And in the playoffs, it changed. And, you know, he was not a good playoff player last year because right. I think then it finally got to him. Finally, they the, finally they were scouting him enough that it, yeah. it kind of did become a problem. But again, number one option versus number four option is a yes. very different conversation yeah. as far as how you're you're scouting that guy and how much defensive attention. And we've seen it. You can get. take away number one options on teams. The Jazz did it. The Jazz took away the number one option, which was the step back three from James Harden. You can yeah. scout that out of teams the same way they scouted Donovan Mitchell out of being the number one option. <laughs> the Jazz didn't have a secondary or third option. Right. Now the Jazz have a secondary, a third, a fourth option. And that's where it gets interesting. How many guys end up being able to throw the lob to Rudy, not to get too small or micro? but I, I don't you know, think that's a, I think that's a big question for next year. Can Boyan throw it? Because if Boyan can throw it the same way Joe can throw it, and then he can kill you in the mid-range because he's so tall, you get really dangerous if he's running the pick and roll with Gobert. That's power forward. Center pick and roll is a hard thing to stop. I agree. I, I'm a little bit worried about how Mike Conley threw that, throws that. He only threw one to Jaron Jackson. He only threw one on a year. dunk. Uh, on a dunk. That's true. There are others that were layups, that were layups. as weird as that sounds. No, that, that, but still. That, it, I'm not as concerned about it. That's okay. not a hard pass to throw. <laughs> We've got more uh, more jazz talk, more Mike Conley talk, more Bogdanovich talk here on the Salt City Hoop Show from uh, ESPN 700.
talks, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. It's a Salt City Hoop show on ESPN, 8 o'clock on a Tuesday night. I'm Andy Larson, Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Ben Anderson, host of Gunther and Ben, every weekday here from 2 to 6 on ESPN 700, joins me as he does every week on the show. Uh, we are here to talk about the Utah Jazz and the NBA for the next hour. So please send us your questions at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. You can also call us 877 353 or text us at that same number, 877-353-0700. We do have a a text coming in, actually, that I I did not see until now. Okay. What what kind of... uh, Oh, sorry. We're going back. Hey, guys, how can Royce O'Neal take a third-year jump similar to how Joe Ingles progressed and made a big impact in his third year? Why couldn't he get some stretch four minutes? I think he will get some stretch four minutes. I agree. I I think he will. Everything that I've heard from the free from the front office, everything that has been reported from the free uh, front office from guys like Tony Jones of the Athletic, indicate that the Jazz are looking at Royce as a four option, and so I think that's one of the reasons why uh, you may have expected to see a a bigger name signing there. You know, I think a lot of people thought that room mid level would go to a four, and instead they went with a a strictly five in Ed Davis and said, "Hey, we're going to figure out." other ways to to fill that four spot and that's Jeff Green at the minimum. I think that's Royce O'Neal at the four. I think that's Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles, you know, splitting that 3-4 job. Uh and then it's also George Nying, who I think is maybe the least discussed guy on this roster this offseason, but is still a, a contributor there at the power forward spot if you need some shooting. I'd be curious about Ed Davis. And I know he played all of his minutes at center last year for Brooklyn. I get it. I just you can play him other places. He's played a lot of places in his career. I mean, he's played power forward also in his career. Uh, it, but like four years ago. Like he, two years ago. In Portland, he was still playing power forward, right? N- not like, very much. Quite a bit next to Nurkic. I mean, now I'm looking at basketball reference. It's not perfect the way they estimate this. They had him two years ago, 57% of his minutes at power forward. Wow. Two years ago. And then the year before that, I mean, 57 before that. So basically last year was the most he'd ever played center, and that was obviously 100%. Before that, he hadn't played more center than power forward than 2013-14 when he was 24 years old. So I'm looking at the uh, cleaning the glass numbers. And the okay. reason I like the cleaning the glass numbers is because the, the guy who runs the site, Ben, uh, what's his name? Ben David? No, Not Ben anyway. Falk. Ben Falk, thank yep. you. Uh, he actually categorizes every single lineup and categorizes yeah. the, the players in each lineup. So basketball reference just uses height. He looks at actually how these players okay. are being played. right. Uh, and he said in his final year with the Portland Trailblazers, he played 1% of his minutes oh, at power forward okay. and 99% of his center. Okay. So I don't know what that lineup was that maybe basketball reference is sure. picking up with him at power forward, but is, is there a 6'11 guy who played power forward minutes Aminu? for that? Is Aminu 6'10? I mean, if yeah. he's, then it may just be giving Aminu okay. that power forward Very spot. Very possible. Um, you know, and, and then 26% of his minutes at power forward the year before, 7% the year before okay. that. So. I, I think got it pretty strictly center. I, I think he's. I think he's a pretty strictly center at okay. this point. Um, I mean, uh, he's he's even more. You know, he's Derek Favors without the offensive game. So, sure. can you play Derek Favors even without that threat of a corner three that he had last year, or you know the right. the mid range shot that you know because Ed Davis hasn't really shown the mid range game in in some time either. Um, I, I think he's strictly a five. Okay. But uh, you know, we we could see it. Quinn could surprise me. I'd yeah. be I would be surprised. I would be more. It, it would be less surprising than seeing you know Ekbe Udo 
and Rudy Gobert out there playing sure. together. Sure. So th- there's potential for some versatility there. But I, I do think it's more likely they play George Niang at the four than they play Ed Davis at four minutes. Probably, yeah. I agree with that. Um, you also might get some weird minutes where Jeff Green and Ed Davis are on the floor at the same time, and they're kind of just doing whatever, just kind of running around, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> yeah. running around down there in the paint. No, for sure. I mean, because Jeff your, Green your can play four center, and five, right? You know, yeah, Jeff Green can play some center as well, like we said in, in Washington. So you could run, you could all. I mean, you'll run area, you'll run games out there potentially where you've got Ed Davis, Jeff Green, and Boyan Bogdanovich. You've got three guys who are basically six nine and six ten out there. Yeah. Uh, the, that question from zero nine one three. I, I want to ask about the second part of his question yeah. about. Uh, what we what we expect from Royce O'Neal in his third year? Remember, he's twenty six years old. Yep. I I would say for a twenty six year old, you know, I don't expect massive jumps from year twenty five to year twenty six. We don't see that that often. Now he's right. Joe Ingles was a much better player in his third year than his second year, and and that familiarity I think makes makes a difference. But we've also seen Jazz players, you know, not significantly improve from their second year to their third year. I mean, Dante Exum comes to mind. Rodney Hood comes to mind. I mean, there there are guys. Joe Ingles improved, and that does not mean every player that the Jazz ever had will improve. Is it just proliferation? And I don't mean as far as like statistical output, but he goes from playing twenty minutes a game to playing twenty five minutes a game and doesn't have a drop off in his play. You know, can he take one more three a game and still shoot thirty eight percent from the floor? Those are big things. Yeah, those, that, that would, would be, be huge. very huge if the if he could do that. It's just maybe it's the same thing he's already done, and you just do it in a few more minutes, so you get a little bit better production because his production's good. Is he a player you can only play 20 minutes a game? Is that his max where he can be effective? Because I, he's only playing against the other team's backups or, you know, the, the certain matchups. He was interesting last year, too, because he uh, played more minutes. He played 20 minutes versus 16 uh, in his rookie season. He obviously played more games. He played in all 82 for the Utah Jazz last year. And his shooting percentages uh, got way better. His shooting percentages got way better, 38% uh, compared to 35% in the year before, 47% from the field compared to 42%. But he used way fewer possessions. His usage went from what's already low, 14.6% his rookie year, down all the way to 11% last year. I thought there were a lot of shots Royce O'Neal passed up last yep. year that I want him to take next year. He also went from an effective field goal percentage his rookie year of 49% up to 57%. 57% from a wing player is huge. And honestly, you know, that's that's... Would you rather have him shoot 11% of the shots fifty-eight per, at 58% right. or 14% of the shots at 54 Right. Probably... The the first yeah, the, you, the better efficient meet in the middle you know but stay ideally at you can do both take more shots yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe that's maybe that's kind of what you're expecting uh, optimistically expecting from Royce O'Neal next year um, but we may just see him not be part of the offense again because they have more talent around him he can take eleven percent of the shots and then the other eighty nine percent go to Conley and Bogdanovich and Mitchell and you're 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 happy and then how about this you know be a stretch four and then show that you've got a dribble move that can beat another four. I, I think he probably has that. He just has to take those. If he's going to play the Jay Crowder role, he has to take the Jay Crowder threes. Yeah, but he's he's really just not a good ball handler. Yeah. Royce is not a good ball handler. So it, no, can he add a little bit of that to his game to beat four? He doesn't have, he, I don't think he's ever going to be better than threes that, as far as a ball handler goes. He's not going to be a better ball handler than the opposing three. Right. But can he be a better than the opposing four can defend? At his size and his athleticism, Maybe. he should be able to keep the ball low enough that he can get past a guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'll see. I mean, his turnover percentage went up last year. Yeah. Uh, so, it, you know, it, this has not been a linear upward swing for Royce O'Neal. I think it's fair to say, hey, we need we need more from you this yeah. season. We need uh, some consistency. We need you to – we need that – we when we kick the ball out to you and you're a 38% three-point shooter, we need to know that you're going to shoot it. You have to shoot it. It's uh, Quinn Snyder's rookie year with the Jazz. Yeah. When he yelled at Rodney Hood. We can't <laughs> say what he said, but we've all seen it. Yeah. It, I put you on the floor to shoot the blank ball. 
Shoot the ball. <laughs> Shoot the ball. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Royce O'Neal, yeah, you're a minimum player, but you're getting shots. You're getting minutes. You're getting more than minimum player minutes. So so yeah. shoot the ball when when you're open. Anyway, thank you for that text question. Again, our text line is 877-353-0700. Wanted to make sure we check that uh, before the end of the show. Daryl Sisk ask, asks, Sisk asks, what's the best case scenario for Exum this year if he's healthy? I mean, I we know what he is. There's not really questions about what he is. I'm not waiting for him to develop anything else. I mean, I, ideally, he's the guy that he was for about four weeks last season, right? Yeah. The, right before he got hurt, he was actually pretty helpful. Yeah. Uh, he could defend. He was His shooting was improving. Uh, he was making better decisions on the floor and was a... Uh, is terror in, in the fast break the right word? I mean, his best... Nope. His best skill... No, his, his best skill is that he's a good transition player, yeah, right? Yeah, he, like gets, out, he gets, gets out. He gets out and he runs and scores everybody. efficiently and can beat everybody. Uh, I think that's that's the ideal Dante Exum, uh, kind of the the Dante Exum we saw in let's see what month was that December and and I guess the first couple of games in January uh, when he you know well, he got hurt shot fifty two percent from the field eight points a game that's that's great. <laughs> My problem is when I look at him and I, I look at where our good games are I see five like his sample size of what we want him to be is five games when he gave you thirteen and a half points. Six assists and two rebounds. It's like, yeah, that's great. Go find any player's best five-game stretch of a season. They're going to look like that. I mean, any player in the NBA is going to have that. Then the scary thing is, and again, I know he's coming back from an injury, but he wasn't coming back from blowing his ACL. He was coming back from a rolled ankle, and he had the three worst games I've ever seen. I mean, his three games when he came back were unplayable, and they were rehab stints, and the Jazz knew they were rehab stints. He didn't make a shot. He played 27 minutes. He had six turnovers in those 27 minutes. It's cumulative. He was awful, and then he got hurt again. So... Clearly, he just wasn't right. Whatever yeah. it was, he just wasn't right. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I, I think he is who he is. He's six points, two rebounds, two assists, and you hope he's a very plus defender. Yeah, and, and if he's that, and if he, honestly, I think maybe a little bit of development in pick and roll um, just to make better decisions, you know, to, to attack it a little bit more often, uh, I, I think he can be a, a good backup point guard in the league. I think he can be a good fourth wing on, on your team if, if you want him yeah. to be that. Uh, I agree. I, I don't expect like huge jumps in, in the shooting or huge jumps in his offensive yeah. production. You I don't know, think I, he can shoot. I don't think he's a very creative finisher. I don't think he has a no. mid-range game. No. So he doesn't score it he most shot of the five mid-range shot last year and made one. Yeah. So he doesn't have a floater, which a guy with his speed needs to be able to pull up and hit a little floater. He needs to be the transition guy. And maybe that's all it is. You get out, you get a couple steals yeah. a game, you wreak havoc, and you know what? It worked for the Thunder. That was the Thunder's design he, last year. He might a bunch be, of turnovers. Honestly, he might be Corey Brewer. Yeah, and Corey Brewer's like uh, you know spent twelve years in the NBA. Peak, yeah, Pete Corey Brewer, fine player. Again, your your fourth wing, you could do worse. Um, I, I would like him to outplay Emmanuel Mudiay because I think that's you. You just look at Emmanuel Mudiay's plus minus numbers and realize that you would like someone better than that. Why were Howell Neto's numbers so good last year? Because <laughs> they were. I mean, he was better than yeah. Steph Curry last year. Uh, I mean, you look at his splits, plus, plus was minus he, splits. Was he actually? No, of course not. No, was he actually the, better than? Uh, Pascal Siakam. Part of it is a the Jazz played Raul Neto in positions where he would succeed, right? Yeah. Like so, there was no question that if there was a long defender on him or uh, the the situation wouldn't work out, they would put in Dante instead of Howell, right? Yeah. Like so, Howell was babied a little bit. But I also just think that he was a really smart player. Like he I can knock Howell down Neto. threes, he yeah. can defend with you know with toughness. I think he can uh, make the right decision. I've said this nine too. times out of ten. He's a top thirty talented point guard in the NBA. He's Four inches too small, or you know, he's yeah. just he's fragile. 
It's not it's very not strong. very quick. Yeah, but it's not skill vertical can pass can shoot. It's really smart. He finishes can around dribble. the rim somewhat creatively. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He can run the pick and roll. Like he can do. He's a perfect point guard. He's a little frail. He's a little small. Yeah. Otherwise, if he could stay healthy, everyone, every team would love him. I I personally was disappointed to see the Jazz lose him and uh, you know sign Moody. I, I think that's that's a huge downgrade. And I think I, I would have preferred to see. And it looked like they could have made the math work. And I you know I don't know how these negotiations went. Sure. I think to some degree they were frustrated with how will losing every single game to soft tissue. Tissue stuff that they couldn't depend on him to play more than ten minutes a game. Yeah, right? if he like, played more than that, he had a hamstring injury or he had a knee right. injury so, or an ankle injury. <laughs> that is very concerning. But when he played, he was he was great. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a great backup point guard option. Yeah. Uh, uh, and maybe that's maybe that's the thing is maybe they just thought he couldn't do it in the playoffs. Man, I thought Howell Nettle was a better player than Dante Exum. I actually don't think it's necessarily all that. Close. I mean, Quinn Quinn agreed with you, right? Quinn yeah. consistently, well, not consistently, but there were so many times when Dante wasn't up to snuff. Howell was the next guy who played yeah. those minutes and generally earned them over Dante, I, yeah. I think, at times. Now, the Dante lovers will, will hate me for saying that. You know, the Australian fans are mad, but I, I just think Howell, at, at, for a majority of their, their shared careers with the Jazz, Howell has outplayed Dante. No question. So that brings up the funny Emmanuel Moutier situation, which is nothing you look at his stats makes sense of why the Jazz would sign him. He's just so not a Jazz player. He doesn't yeah. have Jazz DNA. He doesn't play defense. He's not efficient. Right. He, he's like everything that those bad Nuggets teams were and the horrible Knicks constantly are. Honestly, if if he, if he the Nuggets would have had a good backup point guard two years ago, they'd make yeah. the playoffs. Right. And instead they had Emmanuel Moutier. Right. So what happened? Why? Right. why? I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a skeptic on him. And here's the other and thing. Like, here's what's weird. The Jazz chose Emmanuel Moutier over a lot of other point guards. Like, a lot of other point guards. They I filled that spot to go out there and get other guys who you could go out and bring in that have experience. And you had to understand, and I know the Jazz did, there's a chance Sean Livingston becomes available. You can get some of these guys out there. You could wait and get Howell Neto back because he cleared waivers. Right. So there, there were ways the Jazz could have done non-Emmanuel Moutier things. And the Jazz went out, and they, I mean, they pulled the trigger on Emmanuel Moutier really quick. I thought, like in the sweeping up of free agents getting picked up, the Jazz clearly went out and, and chased him. Well, and I, I'm fine with it if it's your your if he is on the Nigel Williams Goss slot on your roster, yeah. which is you know the 13th guy, uh, a guy that you're you're taking a chance on. I'm I'm more okay with it then, and I, I I you know it's for the minimum. So like, who cares if the Jazz wave him, sign someone else for the minimum? Like it it will be fine. Uh, but uh, to me, I, I think I agree with you that if you if if Howell Neto was willing to sign here again for the minimum, I would have done that. Uh, I, I don't know that there were a lot of great options that I like. You know, I, I sure Ray Felton. Like I would not sign Rondo under any circumstance because we know he's has, is Crazy a problem person. in the locker room. Yeah. Ray Felton is really old. Like he's really old. Really I, I might heavy. take the age twenty four season of even Emmanuel Mudiay yeah. over the age thirty eight gazillion yeah. season over uh, of Felton. Again, Devin Harris was another option. Like yeah. same problem. Yep. Uh, there were not a lot of good backup or even third string point guard options. Whose career would you take so far? <laughs> Dante Exum or Emmanuel Moutier? Oh, Dante Exum. Think so? Yeah. Because huh. I, I think Moutier. Honestly, Moutier, his best season last year with the Knicks was very Trey Burkean. Sure. And Howell Neto is a better player than Trey Burke. Oh no, or, Howell- sorry, Dante Exum is a better player than Trey Burke. We this is where we get into the dicey conversation of then I go and say whose career would you rather have Greg Oden or Joe Kim Noah? Yeah, Joe Kim Noah. 
So what's the difference? Uh, because who's a better player, Greg Oden? Who stays eh. on the floor, Joakim Noah? I think I think I mean, no, if, I think Noah at his peak was better than the best. Uh, Greg oh, I mean, Oden we season. just never saw Greg Oden ever play. I mean, he never played. He I mean, never he got played that one played. season, right, where he scored like twenty points a game or whatever. Or was it sixteen? Or something and I don't like think that, I don't think he ever played more than fifty games in a year. Yeah, so I, he develops and plays his whole career. Greg Oden, I think, is a better player. I mean, sure. he he was a better college player, etc. I mean, he he was sure, but I'm I'm saying Joakim Noah at sure. his peak was like all defense or all NBA first team center. Okay, yeah, he was great. Greg Oden, I think, would have been that type of player. He just never stayed healthy. Dante Exum, I don't care how good he could be. He's just never on the floor. He's played 100 games in four years. 100 games in four years. He played 42 this year. He played 14 the year before that, and he played 66 the year before that, and he didn't play the season before that at all. So, like, Trey Burke has stayed healthy his whole career. Yeah. Would you rather have Trey Burke over Dante Exum? you got to have guys who play on the floor. Like, it doesn't matter how good you are if you can't be on the floor. I think, I, I think at the replacement level that you can go out and get a Trey Burke, you can go out and get, you know, whoever you want and play roughly at the Trey Burke level. Like, Trey Burke is a replacement level point guard. You might as well take the guy who has a shot at being something more than that. But you can't be anything if you're not on the floor. Sure, and if he's not anything, then you play a replacement level point guard like Trey Burke. Sure. <laughs> right. You, know, you go right. out and play Emmanuel Moutier or, or Nigel Williams Goss or whatever. But I, to me, those are the replacement level guys are replacement level guys, and you're not getting a drop off from Trey Burke to Deontay Garrett. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. There's just right. those are about the same level of player. Right. So you might as well get Dante Exum for 40 games a season on average. Huh. And honestly, to me, I'd rather have Howell Neto for 10 minutes a game for 40 games a season, because again, he's going to be a plus point guard. So why do you think the Jazz did it? Uh, because I think they, I mean, this is, I, I don't know. They First of all, they I do know that they talked with Emmanuel Moutier uh, when, you know, in, in free agency. And they were like, look, in order to play on this team, you're going to need to defend or else you're not going to play. And he said, okay, I'm up for that challenge. I want to be part of that player development system. I think his excitement about joining them uh, sold them it's encouraging. to some extent. It's and encouraging. that is absolutely encouraging because... Uh, he has not played defense like a person who wants to play defense. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's yeah. that's been a real concern. Uh, I think you know, it's like Greg Popovich said: there are these players that need to get over themselves to mm-hmm. realize what they can do at the NBA level. And when a player goes to you after his rookie deal is done and he's ready to sign a minimum deal and say, "I want you to help me get better as a player," I think that's someone who's gotten over themselves, and I think that's what what they like. About Denver him. had no choice but to play him because they made him the seventh overall pick. You just have right. to play him at that point. I and I think the Jazz actually for a little while were indebted to Dante that same way. Now he goes to New York, and New York didn't have any choice to play him because their other option was Trey Burke. Oh, and Frank Nilakina, who their fans were actually really mad that they played Moody over Nilakina. Yeah. Uh, Man, that's depressing. And honestly, that's a depressing conversation. Yeah, I I, I think their fans have a, a, a point. probably a gripe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, given that you didn't keep Moutier after right. you you wasted a development season on him, Frank is he? I mean, he's did they pick up his qualifying offer even? I uh, do they? I I don't remember. I think he's they in did his for third next year. year. So he, they'll yeah, I think they did. It's, like a, he was a restricted free agent this off season. He could have someone could have paid him and gotten him away already. I believe because yeah, yeah. he was in his third year. So and I, look, I'm not saying the Knicks are competent in the front office because we know they're not for sure. And maybe Fizz isn't a good coach. I like Fizzdale. He's like a good NBA personality to have around. Maybe he's not a good coach. And maybe they, honestly, maybe the goal is to lose games. Also, maybe the <laughs> goal is to lose games. But they played Emmanuel Moutier because they had to play somebody there. Yeah. You know, and maybe you trusted him to play him there. And now the Jazz don't have to play him and he comes and pl- signs somewhere where he doesn't have to play. And you know there's not 40 starts for him like he got last year. Like you said, maybe that's the encouragement from the Jazz is you've got an, a player who has kind of bizarrely weird upside. He's still very young. He's got a great body. 
I, and I, again, I love that for your third point guard. Sure. If you're if you're moving Dante Exum to the wing, if you're playing Dante as your backup point guard, then I'm yeah, fine I'm with, with it. You know, the, you're, it's a little bit risky given how injury prone your top two point guards are, but fine, whatever. Yeah. I don't like signing both uh, Emmanuel Mudiay and Nigel Williams Goss to be your your point guard. I options. agree, especially when Dante Exum's your other option. Yeah, I I, w- I would rather have seen. It, Sign one of those guys. I, I don't care whichever you think will be the better player, and, and then go out and get uh, again. Ray Felton's not crazy. Just like someone who can. It, it does seem very realistic. The Jazz backup point guard is Don, Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, or you know, on, like Joe Ingles. Yeah, as weird right. as that is, like, but like, the Jazz say we've got three guys who are ball, George Niang. I mean, honestly, guys who are <laughs> ball initiators and can bring the ball up the floor and be okay. I trust all of those guys more than I do Dante Exum. I trust all those guys more than I do Emmanuel Moutier. Hmm. And I just don't trust I don't trust Dante Exum at all. I don't trust him to stay healthy first and foremost. And then when he's on the floor, we know what his lack of what, what he can't do offensively. Right. I, I think I would rather have him on ball than off ball though. Uh, Dante, just because I think What does he do off ball? Not that <laughs> not a cutter right? and when he cuts he doesn't finish. So so I, I would rather have him on ball, not necessarily to run pick and roll, but to make sure that he gets the ball in his hands and transition and goes. And maybe you can do that from the two and the three, and it doesn't matter. And again, he's just Corey Brewer. And if he gives you those five games that he gave right before he got injured, he's a really high-level player. He just he rarely gives you those five games, and when he does play that, he seems to get hurt. Yeah. We do have questions from Chandler Parkinson, but we'll leave those, and Austin Clayton, excuse me. We'll, so we'll leave those next here uh, for the next segment here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. All right, Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, Andy Larson, Ben Anderson with you. Talking uh, basketball, Utah Jazz in the NBA. We are laughing about a soccer rule change during the break, but uh, hey, should we tell them? In soccer now, you can the, the, they've changed the laws of the game, so goalkeepers can no longer throw the ball into their opponent's goal and, and score. Huh. Before they could. Why now, can't you? They should change, then, then what, how about no own goals? I mean, if a goalie can't score by throwing it, shouldn't you not be able to score by throwing it your own goal, too? No, you can't. Shouldn't it all count the same? Sorry. You, you can still score. You can still score by oh, throwing it stupid. into your own goal. And that's actually happened before. I'm sure it's happened. Yeah, of course. Guys trying to do the long ball. And then they, whoop, yeah. it sticks to your glove. Okay. Yeah. It throws into or your slips out on the... Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> not uh, oh. not a basketball problem. But I, I just like that they're changing these laws just in case someone develops a, yeah. a howitzer of an arm. Uh, we do have another question... Uh, I said Austin Clayton was next. He asks, what are some of the biggest X factors that will determine if the Jazz live up to their potential and hype this upcoming season? I hate to say health because it's so boring, but health is a big one. I'll give you Austin's answer first. He said, I'd say it's Mitchell taking that next all-star step in his game, relying even more on Gobert to continue being Defensive Player of the Year and the team staying healthy. Hey, how many games did Jazz win last year? 50. Okay. <laughs> You, you had Ricky Rubio out there. No offense to Ricky Rubio, but honestly, he's the 20th best point guard in the NBA, you know, starting. And part of the reason that he can – the one of the reasons he's one of the 20th best is because he's six foot four and he starts a lot of games. I mean, he's just very durable. He's pretty reliable. He's not super skilled. He's, he, he can do some things really well. He's a really good passer. Does not shoot at all. Struggles to finish. I mean, there's, there's a lot of issues there. Yeah. The upgrade between Ricky Rubio and Mike Conley is so absurdly large, it's – if you just added Conley to this roster over Ricky Rubio, the Jazz are incredible. Yeah. Now, 
we, we haven't talked about fit of adding a guy like Boyan Bogdanovich. Again, the Jazz numbers when you had Jay Crowder out there next to Rudy Gobert were great just because there was a threat, it seemed like, of somebody to shoot the three-point shot. And now you actually have one of the best three-point shooters at that position stepping out there to do those types of things. It's just the Jazz just need to survive until the season starts to take the biggest step that we're that we expect them to. Yeah, no, I, I do agree with Austin that I do think that like you do need to rely on Rudy Gobert being even more the defensive player of the year, right? Like because you're you're gonna be asking him to do more. You're not asking him to do as much as they were in Joe Johnson's final season, right? Where everyone was just blowing by him and Rudy had to answer all yeah. these different questions. Right. And uh but you may be asking kind of something similar to what you were at the beginning of last year where it seemed like the Jazz couldn't perimeter players couldn't keep anyone in front and Rudy Gobert had all these bad situations to be in. And as a result the Jazz were only average defensively for the first month or so of the year. So yeah. uh, you know, I, I think you maybe need to rely on Rudy Gobert to hit the floor running rather than at, at the beginning of last year, he, he wasn't at his best. You know, I think he, he became that over the course of the last four months of the year. But we saw that when Rudy Gobert is not the Rudy Gobert we expect and he's a little bit late on those rotations and he doesn't quite know what to do, uh, the Jazz can be in a little bit tr- of trouble defensively. Not a ton of trouble, but they're, they're average, you know. Um, so I, I think that's that's a concern, and I think they need Rudy to continue to be playing at a defensive player of the year level to make sure that their offensive gains don't uh, aren't balanced out by defensive losses. Do you think Donovan Mitchell was hurt last year to start the year? Yeah. Do you think that was one of the reasons why he shot poorly and was just generally a little bit inefficient? Yeah, I also think that he was uh, he put a lot of pressure on himself mentally. You know, yeah. I, I think he. Thought he was, you know, he just signed the big Adidas shoe deal. He yeah. he knew he was getting the same. I'm a superstar shoe. now. He's yeah. a superstar now. He had just done this huge cross country tour, and yeah, his foot had had been, you know, hurt for the first three months of that off season. So yeah. he couldn't do a lot of the workouts that he wanted to do. So yeah, I, I think he was uh, he was either hurt or hurting or tired or maybe all all of the above. Um, but I do think that that was part of why he wasn't that good and. Yeah, and then yeah, I think he probably took too large of a, a load on his shoulders, and I think that we definitely know will be will be mitigated this year. Yeah, and, and he was really good the second half of the season again. Yeah. Whether he got healthy or whether he just chilled, or and the roster or the schedule certainly eased up significantly. I think that's a lot of it. Uh, but and it's not like he was bad the first half of the year. He's twenty two four and four. Second half of the season he was twenty seven five and five. And that's a huge gap. But uh, if he can even those out a little bit, find the middle ground and be more efficient. I think he actually probably has already closer to taking that superstar leap that we want to see him take than maybe we recognize because we're influenced by his last five games where he wasn't great against Houston. Agreed. Uh, that's all the questions that we have so far. Again, if you guys want to tweet us in the next half hour, at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops, we're answering your questions on the show. You can also call us or text us at 877-353-0700, 877-353-0700. Ben, I want to ask you what your impressions were from the Jazz's Summer League. Uh, from the second-round picks. And then, of course, we, we haven't talked about Tony Bradley yet, who played a major role in, in, in both the Jazz SLC Summer League and Las Vegas Summer League. I thought of the players we saw at their best, Jarrell Brantley was the best. Okay. When he, I thought, was on, what, game two or whatever, or maybe it was game one for the Jazz, whatever it was, I, I like that potential as a player because I love his body. He's got an NBA body. And that's such a huge battle for so many NBA players. It's just, are you actually big enough to do this? A lot of guys don't make the league who are insanely skilled because they're just not big enough to do it against the best players in the world. And I think Brantley's actually big enough to do it. And then with enough intrigue and, and his willingness to learn and, and Jazz getting their hands on him, developing developing him is intriguing. Mie is not a huge player, but he's not terribly small. I mean, he's not way undersized. Yeah. 
he's going to have to really shoot the ball to make it. And at times he showed that, and then he got tired, and maybe you know Vegas just burned him up like he did everybody else. <laughs> he, you know, he also missed his first three shots in the first game, yeah. right? Zero, or I guess he scored one point off the free throw line in, in that game. But um, yeah, I, I'm so Jarrell Brantley is an int- interesting one because I thought he had really high highs and really low lows. You know, we we saw his ability to take. All sorts of different threes, which I think will be tremendously helpful. And some of those he made and switched, and it looked really good. And some of them he he airballed, and it was clear he didn't have the footwork down and didn't really wasn't really able to do those kind of things, right? Yeah. Like, so good shooters are consistent shooters. They're, they yeah. you don't see good shooters airball it on on any of those shots. Right. So I, I think that's something that he'll continue to need to work on. Uh, I kind of agree with Dennis Lindsay in that I think he's a a little bit uh, probably needs to lose ten pounds or so. Um, Mioni? No, I think Jarrell Brantley. Brantley. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was gonna say, oh no, Mioni's no. <laughs> gonna disappear if he loses any weight. Yeah, no, I yeah, I, he's too... I think Mioni needs to be bigger. I think Jarrell Brantley needs to be uh, smaller. Agreed. He needs to thin out a little bit, and that's you know that happens in the NBA because you're just you're playing 80 games as opposed to 30 games, and you're yeah. playing a lot harder. And the I mean the food they can give you, the nutrition, the workout plans are just so much better. He'll he'll drop and, weight really quick. Yeah, and I, I think the I think at the College of Charleston level, like being big is an advantage, right? Like yeah. you're you're dealing with guys in the post and and that kind of thing where being able and honestly, just the defensive attention that you get as a best player on a team means that it's it's good to be big. I think at the NBA level, playing the playing the four, I think it's probably going to be better to be a little bit slimmer, a little bit faster, and more in shape, so that when you are taking those shots, you know, with five minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, uh, you you can you're you're not tired, you can make them. And uh, given the two way contracts that those two guys signed today, uh, or I guess we haven't talked about Justin Wright Foreman, given the the two way contract Brantley signed today, uh, he'll be getting most of that time in the G League. Presumably, as the Jazz's, uh, I guess the SLC stars starting for down at, at Slick. And I don't know about Justin Wright uh, Foreman. Yeah, I, I'm I'm skeptical, right? I mean, I think he showed definitively that he does not have point guard skills, uh, and so if he's he's at his current height, uh, he's he's not going to grow anymore. He's he's going to be a point guard in the NBA. And he didn't he shoot can't make 40, it as a two. He didn't shoot forty percent um, in summer league like he did in college, right? He, he was, his numbers that were so efficient in college just were not there. So, I mean, to me, I, I think he's the furthest away of the three and clearly needs to work on his game. Now, he's he's a little bit intriguing in that he's longer than your usual small point guard prospect uh, who can't shoot. You know, So this isn't a Marcus Page situation no. where he's just like, okay, this guy's body isn't going to work. Uh, it might work because of his length, but he needs to learn how to use it a lot better. Yeah, you need to see it. I just didn't see it. And I didn't see his speed either. He's supposed to be quick, and I just didn't see that becoming the elite. Yeah, edge. I, I don't think he turned he's... the corner, but then he got he was so small when he got to the paint, and his long arms didn't adjust for that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's NBA quick. Like, is there a better player, honestly, than Donovan Mitchell as far as using his length despite his lack of height? I mean, Donovan Mitchell plays like a huge player because of his arms. Yeah, I mean, he finishes on top of the rim as easy as anyone in the NBA, and he's not a big player. No, he's not a very tall person. No, he's not. He's uh, only slightly taller than you and I. Yeah, you know, like, like he's he's like exactly he's six, six two. one. Yeah, yeah six uh, two, okay. six one, and yeah. But his long arms allow him to finish things that just should not be finishable. And even weird, like his scoop shot that got really good last year under people is a purely an arm length thing mm-hmm. that most players don't have because their arms just aren't that long. And they don't expect that shot yeah. because yeah, it's, you only have to ha- you have to have a crazy wingspan in order to get that kind of thing off. Yep. Um, 
Donovan Mitchell, good player, better than Justin Wright Foreman, it turns <laughs> out. <it> yeah. <laughs> That's our basketball analysis for today. Um, yeah, I, I'm a little bit skeptical on Wright Foreman. Uh, I do think Tony Bradley earned the third center role. I, you know, I think that was a, a competition between him and Willie Reed, and I thought Willie Reed looked really average, and I think Tony Bradley... Did some really nice things on the floor. I don't, I don't understand the intrigue with Willie Reed that Jazz fans have had. I know he had moments with the Stars and was the number uh, one pick last year, right, with the Stars? Yeah, I, I, he was. Uh, I get. I get the. He was the best player. He may have been the best player in the G League okay. uh, during the two months he played. So, like, I get. I get that. So, if you're if you need a third center, why not get the best player in the G League, right? Uh, I I didn't think he showed that post injury, and and that might just be because it's the first few games back from the injury. He's also 29, and and yeah. that's at you know maybe the point in in someone's career where you start to downswing a little bit. Um, I I I do, I do think that he struggles a little bit with NBA size and athleticism, yep. and and being able to do the things that he counts on to that he he scores so well at, at the G League level. And he kind of does a lot. I, I kind of think your third center should maybe be a specialist of some kind. Hmm. You know the way Ekpe Udo is a specialist. He's a okay. good shot blocker and pretty good defensive player. Generally, you know, are you a great shooter? Maybe that's why Dragon Bender gets a chance to stick around, and even then he's like a 22% three-point shooter. But right. the concept is he's a good shooter. He's a tall white guy. We well, think those guys can shoot. But maybe there's a sense where you want to have a skill there for your third center. And Willie Reed's a little bit more of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. I think Tony Bradley's a really great offensive uh, uh, rebounder, I should say, and really offensive rebounder. Yeah, but, offensive rebounder, he's, he's very, very good. But his summer uh, league averages 20 points per game, Fifteen and a half rebounds and two and a half blocks. That was in the Salt Lake Summer League, and then in the Vegas Summer League, it was nineteen points per game, eleven rebounds, and one block a game, on fifty-six percent shooting. He puts up really good numbers, certainly good numbers. And at some point, you kind of have to believe the production a yeah. little bit. Yeah, I, that's it, it's it's <laughs> honestly that's been the story for Tony Bradley's entire career. That's yeah. why he was a first-round pick, is because guys with his rebounding numbers and scoring numbers, scoring per minute numbers, even though he was coming off the bench. For North Carolina, yeah. you don't see a lot of guys coming off their bench be drafted in the first round. Guys who are 19 and can put up those kind of numbers turn out to usually have good NBA careers. Yeah. And guys who are 21 and put up those kind of numbers in yeah. Summer League turn out to usually have pretty good NBA careers. Like, if this was any player yet, other than Tony Bradley on the Summer League who put up these numbers, Jazz right. fans would be going bonkers for this right. guy. <laughs> it's but true. for some reason, Tony Bradley is... And he's kind of goofy. I think that's fair. He's kind of no, goofy I, looking. Yeah, and I actually don't think I, it's wrong. I, I owe 100% understand why fans aren't there and and the jazz coaching staff isn't 100 percent there and you know i i i think there's you know i think there are reasons to be skeptical about tony bradley i don't think he's a great defense you know i don't think he's engaged defensively all the time i i don't think he's great at like the dribble handoff screen roll kind of timing all that kind of stuff like he's, he's just a goofy guy too he, yeah like the funny story about uh the was it the nba asked him about falling down he's like man i'm always falling down did you see that they were <laughs> no, talking to him about I think that because they said, "Hey, you're an early nominee for a Shacked and a Fool," because I mean, he fell down ten times uh-huh. uh, in the summer league. He tried to go 94 feet twice in the yeah, same that was game, bad. and they said, "You're an early candidate for Shacked and a Fool." And he goes, "Man, they're always making fun of me for uh- falling down because <laughs> you're Eeyore. I, I don't yeah. know what to tell you." And he kind of is Eeyore. It's funny because like the comp when he was when he was drafted, and I actually do see it, is that he moves like Tim Duncan. Yeah, absolutely, he's got Tim like, Duncan's body. He, he actually moves, today has Tim Duncan's body. Yeah, like he moves his shoulders, kind of waddle in the same way Tim Duncan's waddle yep. as he goes down the floor. Like, and you're like, oh my god, this this guy moves like Tim Duncan. Like, yeah, we should draft, and he has these stats as a 19 year old. We yeah. should draft him immediately. And right. then yeah, it's, it's 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 such a weird. I think he's. 
I don't know if the Jazz draft him, you know, in the first round if they're evaluating him today because the role of the center has Correct. changed so much in the last two years. But I mean, uh, I think you hoped his upside was like that he was Stephen Adams because he's just yeah, a, he's kind right. of a banger. He's a really good rebounder. I don't think he's actually that much of a banger, but he really is a good rebounder. He's not, yeah, he's not a banger. That's that's he's, kind of the problem. Is right now he's he's a little bit contact shy, but he's somehow grabs 15 rebounds a game over smaller players, and there's something there. It's probably something worth trying to find six minutes a game for him once a week. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, garbage time, the, great. Jazz might blow out a lot of teams this year. Yeah, You might see a lot of garbage minutes this year. You might see Jarrell Brantley on the floor because the Jazz are beating teams by 18 points. Well, that's kind of the tough thing is if he's on a two-way contract, he only gets 45 days in the NBA. So how do you figure out how to use those 45 days over the course of a season? You you probably are waiting until an injury happens, right? And, until he really gets a chance with the NBA roster. Otherwise... Uh, you, you want to save him for the time where you'll actually need him, right? Um, but Mieoni might get that time. Yeah. Um, I, I'm yeah, I, I'm with you. I, we talk. I guess Mieoni. Have we talked about a lot? I think he's the he's the second round pick that got a full Jazz contract. That's amazing. Good for him. Um, and he, you know, that was kind of the deal. Was that these guys would battle it out? Seem inevitable though. It, it, it did. Even when I thought, not. well, I thought when the Jazz drafted him, I, mean, I said on my show, I said he's got the best chance to make the roster, even mm-hmm. though he was the third of the guys drafted. Just like what he does makes the most sense as far as making it, which is the idea of a kind of a true three and D player versus right. this other guys who everything had to click in for it to work. And they like what he was defensively. Mm-hmm. You know, they they like what he is defensively. I I to me it was like he kind of positions himself weirdly. Yeah. Uh, he's it, I, he got beat a couple of times yeah. in summer league. It's too and far I didn't off like the it. ball a few times, which yeah. is just like kind of paying attention to. Who, yeah, you're not at Yale anymore. Exactly. Like you people need to be in this league can shoot, closer. so you need to be exactly. Yeah, because yeah, there were there were a lot of times. I, I think we both noticed this. Yeah. Where yeah, he would be six feet back on a guy who just got the ball on the perimeter, and he and he was just like, okay, I'll I'll shoot it. Yeah. And because they were summer league players, actually, I missed it. So yeah, like, hey, yeah. you know, props to me, Aoni, I guess. Kid, yeah. Really yeah. Good. I mean, I play the same way in my my pickup games. Yeah, like right. none of you guys can shoot. I know better. Like shoot it. We'll get the rebound. It's way yeah. better than you doing anything else. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> but I, I I do just think that he he has a lot to learn be, to be a good defender. the The shooting was more intriguing than I even saw at Yale. He uh, will not be an active roster member. He will always be fourteen or fifteen inactive. I would think with Nigel Williams Goss uh, over whoever they do at fifteen. Even William Howard will play over him. I'm not. I don't know who's a better player between him and him. I'm excited. I mean, let's talk about that on the other side. Okay. Let's talk about that on the other side here on the Salted Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You are listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, Andy Larson, Ben Anderson with our final segment of the show. Uh, we wanted to talk, what were we going to say? What were we saying? We Mieoni were talk? or William Howard Taft. That's right. Uh, <laughs> William Howard Taft, uh, largest M- uh, NBA president. Only NBA player who was also president and a Supreme Court justice. Not the president, Malcolm Brogdon? No, but maybe one. Doesn't day. have the Supreme Court justice to his name. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, con- it's a concern. Uh <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I think William Howard's size is going to allow him to play professionally next year. I don't think Mieoni has the size to play professionally next year, even though he just Are signed. We, when you say professionally, you mean NBA? Professional contract. Yeah. Well, Mieoni's in the NBA, and he signed a contract, yeah. but he's not big enough to play. Okay. I think William Howard is. Might be able to play. Yeah. Uh, 
I saw this great list of questions on Twitter, so I'm just going to – six okay. questions, rapid fire at you, and we'll talk about them a little bit. But okay. Better team as of now, Lakers or Clippers? Clippers, but I like the Lakers top two better than the Clippers top two, and really? that's a hot take. That is a hot take. I would rather have the Clippers top I think two. LeBron and Kawhi, or let's say they're sixes. I actually don't think it's all that close between Paul George and Anthony Davis. I know a lot of people disagree with me. I think we have a little recency bias. Uh, that's fair. I think recency bias is understandable in this situation. Because that's how yeah, you but it's not figure like out who's good and who's Anthony not. Anthony Davis got hurt or quit on a team and was 31 years old. We don't know who the 33-year-old right. is, which is what is the question with KD. Anthony Davis is coming off of a top three MVP season, just like Paul George did two years ago. And he's bigger and he's more skilled. And uh, he's a bigger defense maker and a better defensive player, which is crazy to say because Paul George is a great player. I don't know if he's a better defensive player. I I, I would disagree with that. Okay. Uh, I think, yeah, I think Paul George is a better defensive player, and that's why I would pick PG over AD. You would pick PG over AD. Trade right now. Or next year. No, no, no. Trade right now. I mean, Anthony Davis, younger, you know. Okay. Yeah. Paul George, I think, for next season, will be a better player. Interesting. I don't think it's all that close. I think Anthony Davis is so much better than Paul George. Okay. So that'll be. I mean, Paul George was the third best player in the league last year. That's for stretches. Yeah. Uh, did the Rocks did the Rockets improve or slam their windows shut by trading for for Russell Westbrook? Slam the window shut. I don't know what else they were supposed to do. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean I, it was already slammed I, shut. I think they improved and their windows shut either way. Right? Like I, I think Russell Westbrook is a better player than Chris Paul. Uh, I honestly Maybe. think it's an easier yeah. matchup for the Jazz that they absolutely. have Russell Westbrook because yeah, Russ uh, Russ's mid range is less dangerous than Chris Paul's mid range. Uh, I I just I don't think that that team wins anything either way. Nope. Uh, you know what I like? I like that they didn't give up Clint Capella or Eric Gordon. Yeah, that's good. Because I like those players. Yeah, those are those are good players that can help you, and I think on reasonable contracts, too. Uh, will, this, will the Phoenix Suns actually be an NBA team next year? No. But, I mean... Okay, here's my theory. I what's told you what's my our theory. cutoff for... say <laughs> will actually be an NBA 28 team. 28 like, wins. Okay. Uh, and I don't think they get there. I don't think they get I there. I do either. think my theory is that Ricky Rubio is a good point guard from 35 to 45 wins. I don't think he's that good... On a team that's wanting to win forty six to fifty five, is wins. he good from fifteen to thirty wins? Yeah, he's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, he doesn't help you win, but yeah, he's going to get fourteen points and seven assists. He helps and... you win. I think he, I think he helps you win in, in well, some ways. He no, doesn't certainly take over you like Elia Kobo. He doesn't stop you from being a fifteen win team, okay? Necessarily, or you know, he doesn't get you closer to the playoffs because fifteen to twenty five is not that hard in the NBA. I don't it, think it's, it kind of depends on how hard you play. Yeah. Exactly. You want to lose games? Lose 50, lose sixty games and get down to fifteen wins. Yeah, I I think they, uh, I I think are they the worst team in the West next year? Memphis is probably pretty bad, and by design. Okay. Oklahoma City. I'm curious what they do with those players. Do, how bad do they try and get next year? They. I I think their roster is better than. Phoenix. Absolutely. But can you get rid of Gaio? Can you get rid of you know yeah. some of those players? Uh, I would put them as. Either worst or second worst in in the West next year. It's absolutely Gallo, but uh, two L's. I, Gallo, yeah. I like that. Yeah, right. Pico de Gallo. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, that's that's what his nickname is, right? The yeah. Rooster, yeah. because of the Gallo. Yep. Anyway, moving on. Uh, sneaky great signing this year in in free agency. Do you have a Do you have a great name? Great signing. I don't know. Why don't you go first? I'll see if I want to. Sneaky great signing to me was uh, Trey, uh, not Trey Lyles. Uh, Tyus Jones? <laughs> Tyus Jones. Thank you. Same number of letters, first and last name. And uh, Tra- Tyus Jones, I think, is a really good point guard, and I, I really like uh, that he's a young point guard that can develop with that Memphis team, that they have him for multiple years. I, I think he's going to be of, of good value to them, and it is, it's better than DeLon Wright is younger. I, I, just, I think it makes a lot of sense. 
I don't know. He's I, only 23. You know what? J.J. Redick. Because I think Ooh. that keeps them competitive for a playoff spot. And okay. without it, I don't think they would have been. I like that. So I'll we'll uh, take J.J. Redick. Sneaky bad By the way, he signing. Went to, he went to New Orleans. If yes. people don't know where he went. Everything the Lakers did, basically. <laughs> they did a really bad job. So, JaVale McGee, Rajon hey, Rondo, no, I like, DeMarcus actually, like, Cousins. I like Quinn Cook. That Quinn might Cook, be a okay. sneaky good signing because he can really shoot the ball and might look great next to LeBron and Anthony Davis because you should because those guys get a lot of attention. But, man, I hate Rajon at that point where, where he is. I don't love that. Uh, can I say Al Horford? You can. I mean, is that sneaky enough? Because I think that's a bad. a sneaky bad. It's a hot take, I would say. Very hot take. Four years for $109 million for a guy who's 33. A lot of, some of that's not guaranteed, right? I think it's closer to 490 is guaranteed. The last year is not guaranteed, yeah. Uh, or at least it's partially guaranteed. He Al Horford, again, he's the guy who everyone says, like, eh, it's more than the box score, which is a realistic thing. You know, Rudy Gobert is more than a box score, and Rudy Gobert still puts up some pretty dominant box score numbers too, but... I worry about him. He's only a 35% three-point shooter, so it's not like he's 45% and spreads the floor next to Joel Embiid. So they get a little clunky. They're a little bit less athletic. Ben Simmons obviously doesn't shoot the ball at all. They they could they might be a little clunky. Yeah, I I mean, I think it'll be fine next year. I think it's going to look ugly, you know, at the end of that contract. Yeah. Uh, and, and Al, Al Horford in, also... In a way, that's predictable. His drop-off might be really quick. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm, like, as a non-super athlete, at uh, undersized for the position. Like, yep. I, I don't know. I don't I don't love it. Well, and slow power forwards now are going to look really slow with the league continuing to get faster. We've got 40 seconds for number five most fun rookie. Jaw? We'll say Jaw. Okay, Jaw. I yeah, like that. I'm happy with that. I'm going Brandon Clark. Yeah, Brandon Clark's in there. I love Brandon Clark. Uh, I mean, Zion will be the most fun, but that's not a fun answer. So yeah. uh, we're going to go with, with Brandon Clark. You know, R.J. Barrett actually had a sneaky good summer league. Really bad the first two games, and it was great the second half of the summer league. Okay. Just put up huge numbers. He's going to get a ton great. of opportunity. I, know, I, I, think he'll be, I think he'll be a guy who scores some points and doesn't yeah. do a lot of fun things, if that makes they sense. They need that wing player in New York. Yes, they, they do. And that is RJ Barrett now. All right, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can go to saltcityhoops.com for more info. Please subscribe to the Salt Lake Tribune, sltrib.com. For, but for now, Andy Larson, Ben Anderson, out.